World Cup, Women's Under-17 World Cup. How fantastic that was. And then, of course, we have uh, a little bit of Super Rugby uh, discussions because you can't ignore what was uh, an opening first weekend, just not as successful as I would like it to have been. That said, overall, um, uh, delighted that uh, rugby is back on. Let me get into your sports news, though, before we uh, get into anything else. I can tell you that uh, some big news. Kenya's former world javelin champion, Julius Yego, is going to begin his 2018 season by competing in the third meet of the Athletics Grand Prix Series in PAL next month. The reigning Commonwealth Games champion is excited at the prospect of competing in South Africa. It's a huge thing, you know, when my manager told me about the meeting and, and I, I was so ready to come to compete in South Africa. You know, I look forward to competing there and it, it's a nice thing, you know. Like Africa, we produce the best athletes, but uh, we rarely or hardly have uh, like our own competition. I love to be in South Africa. We love Africa and I want to compete there. I will be always ready when my body is okay I to compete there. It's amazing, he's actually self-taught. That said, Russian athletes and sports officials have voiced their disbelief that one of their Olympic Winter Games medalists was being investigated for suspected doping, a scandal, of course, that could imperil Russia's effort to regain full Olympic status. Alexander Kruselnitsky, who competes in the non-physically taxing sport of curling, is suspected of testing positive for meldonium, a banned substance that increases blood flow and improves exercise capacity. While no hearing date has been fixed, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has launched a doping procedure against Kruselnitsky, who won bronze with his wife Anastasia Bergalova in mixed doubles curling. Now, a general bewilderment amongst uh, curling athletes remains as they cannot fathom why anyone would use drugs that uh, aid endurance in a sport that is kind of a chess on ice, needing steady hands and concentration rather than physical fitness. Meanwhile, news from today is action at the 2018 Olympic Winter Games in Pyeongchang, Korea Republic. Canada's Justin Cripps and Germany's Francesca Friedrich won gold medals after a dead heat in the men's Olympic two-man bobsleigh. Cripps and four-time world champion uh, Friedrich both finished with identical times of 3 minutes, 16.86 seconds. Latvia's Oscar Melbardis took bronze, uh, while French uh, alpine skier Mathieu Favre, the boyfriend of Olympic uh, champion Michaela Schruffen, the American, has been sent home from the Games after saying he did not care about medals that his teammates won, but was only concerned with his own success. Let me tell you briefly what's happening in uh, cricket. I can tell you Zimbabwe need another 147 runs with one wicket remaining. Uh, they're 95 for 9 in reply to Afghanistan's 241 for 9 in the fifth one day international at Sharjah Cricket Stadium. So it looks like uh, Afghanistan is going to win that series 4-1. Football news. Orlando Pirates coach Milutin Sudovic, Maritzburg United Spasetlian Lovu have won Absa Premiership Coach and Player of the Month awards uh, for January respectively. Last month, Mitchell steered Pirates to wins over Barocca, log leaders Mamelodi Sundowns and Platinum Stars draw with Bulukwani City in a loss to Ice Cape Town. Midfield in Lovu has been key to Maritzburg's resurgence with a team of choice recording victories over Ajax. Bloom Celtic and Free State Stars a draw with Chippy United in the defeat to Supersport United in the same period. Sundowns midfielder Tiani Mabunda incidentally picked up goal of the month prize for December with a strike from range and a 4-1 thumping win of Celtic. Further afield, Africa will get its first official trial of the video system referee system during the 2018 CAF Super Cup clash this weekend. CAF Champions League winners Gavere uh, Casablanca and Confederation Cup uh, champions Tipi Zembe meet in the one-off match in Casablanca on Saturday with the International Football Association Board and FIFA having given the green light for technology to be used. The recent Chan tournament produced successful mock-up trials last month under the supervision of FIFA in experts, uh, FIFA's experts in Morocco. Rugby news, the uh, junior Springboks will have a solid build-up to the Rugby Under-20 Championship with four training camps in the UK to a plan to 
ensure they're well prepared for the international spectacle. Uh, Varsity Cup matches uh, for you today. Madiba's uh, oh, TMO decision just as I look up at the screen. Tennis news, I can tell you Kevin Anderson has reached a career high ranking of nine in the latest ATP rankings after his win in New York over the weekend. Um, he beat Sam Query last night. Uh, it, I can tell you Madiba's and Vitz, I'll bring you the update on that in just a moment. Mighty CUT have just kicked off. Ikeys and Schimler's uh, are uh, just kicked off as well. And Puck and UJ meet later. That's just sports news. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Now, the South African women's under 17 team received a rather warm welcome at the South African Football Association offices earlier today after qualifying for the FIFA World Cup in Uruguay. Uh, but a wonderful result uh, over the weekend then for South Africa against Morocco in the second leg. 1 0 away from home after 5 1 in the opening leg. Uh, in fairly convincing fashion, South Africa will be off to uh, Uruguay for the FIFA under 17 women's World Cup. And I'm delighted to say we've got Coach Spiro Gudlu on the line. Spiro, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good evening. How are you, James? Hi, hi. I'm not as excited as you are, Spiro. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> Qualifying. You must be so proud of, uh, of, of, of the team, your technical team, and what you've achieved. Yes, I am really proud of the girls because all the sacrifice and all the hard work has paid off. You know, um, and all of us that have, you know, been away from our families and serving the country, I think it has been a great journey for us. But, yeah, it's it's really exciting. I mentioned the, uh, the, the victories over Morocco, of course, uh, and, and Botswana before that. But uh, I suppose the preparations really intensify now, uh, preparing to, to go to the World Cup. Yes, they are intensifying now because um, we've just qualified. And for us to go to the world and compete, not just be there for the World Cup, uh, just ticking a box, but be there to compete, we need to prepare as a team, uh, break down our periodization and make sure that we do all our best to make sure these girls are ready to go and compete at the world stage. Yeah, how good was the qualifying campaign in preparing your players, many young players, for conditions beyond home? Because I suppose for many it would be the first time they'd left the country. Yes, definitely. A lot of the girls, 90% of them, have never been outside of South Africa, you know, and a lot of them, it was the first time having to travel something like 24 hours from home all the way to reaching Morocco. And not just that, but uh, traveling to Botswana as well. We went by bus, traveled and played and came back. All of those experiences were uh, great experiences for us because you don't just prepare a team to compete on the field, but off-the-field dynamics is what helps us to be stronger mentally and so that we are ready um, for any challenge. But playing these uh, two countries was a really um, experience and a half because we managed to see how our girls behave under pressure, how our girls behave when a, score, a goal is scored against them at that level. How do they um, take the information? How do they keep their tactical discipline? You know, So all of that was really great for us to go through, concede so many goals and be able to come back and rectify from that. I mean, we considered one goal against Morocco. Yeah. So there has been a lot of improvements in the team. And really, playing both these countries meant a lot for us. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if, uh, particularly on a defensive perspective, because it was what eleven six, I think, on aggregate, the uh, the, the win over mm-hmm. Botswana. So, so from a defensive perspective, it was a significant improvement. But in terms of uh, in terms of the overall scoreline, you can't complain about the number of goals that are being scored. But I want to go back to that team of twenty ten. I mean, uh, Jermaine Sundersen, where, for example. Uh, you know, she was she was one of the standout players. She's gone on to represent Banyana Banyana be well beyond that, uh, and and 
carve out a really successful career for herself. But that team couldn't be sort of advanced beyond the group stages. Are you setting aims for yourself, for your team at the moment? Yes, we are setting aim for the team, you know, because like I mentioned earlier, we are not preparing just to go to the World Cup and be present that South Africa was there, but no, we want to make a difference. We want to showcase our talents to the world, and advancing to the next stages would be ideal for us, and all of that would happen through um, quality preparation. Although uh, preparing does not ensure you success, but it increases the chances of you succeeding, you know. So that's the biggest thing that we are looking at as a team to say the 2010 team went there and it had a lot of girls that some of them are in the Bayana team, some are playing overseas varsity football. Um, and now we are saying we want to do better as well. That was our first time. Now we understand. We know what is expected of us and we know what the competition is like overseas. So we are really looking forward to preparing the team to our utmost best to make sure that the girls are ready. Like I say, there the intensity is different. The stage is different. And that's what we want to do as a team. We want to be there, compete, and give our very best. Now, I, I want to ask about uh, preparations uh, beyond this. I mean, the South African Football Association, if I'm not mistaken, actually, Danny O'Dan, South uh, President, promised you, you, you a trip to Spain if, uh, if, if, if the team qualifies, which, which would help immensely, no doubt, in readying the team. But how much support is SAFA committed to helping Bandwana be as prepared as possible by the time the, uh, the World Cup kicks off? Yes, um, we have been promised that, and he still uh, verified that when we landed back uh, from Morocco. And yes, we will be making a trip to Spain and to play other countries and teams in Europe as well, because it's not just one country that we are looking at, but a lot more to go and play against, because we just have to compete against the rest of the world for us to be ready for the world stage, you know. So uh, Safa is uh, supporting us. And I think he also mentioned today in a press uh, conference that he, we should at least play 10 international matches. So that counts for something because by then it means we would have been um, ready for that stage and ready to go and compete at that stage. Now, what I want to talk about is a, is a personal perspective for you, um, because you, you've, been, you've been through the, the, the lot. I mean, you, you were a youth player. You came through the youth ranks, I think, actually at the High Performance Center. Uh, you, some of the girls that you've coached at in Pretoria are actually playing for you now. Uh, but you're also somebody who went on to represent the national team several times, and now you could be taking a team to the World Cup. I mean, there's a, there's a great development for you as an individual. What's the process been like from being the young girl in Alexandria who had dreams to being somebody who potentially is the first former player to take a South African team to a World Cup? You know, um, it's been a dream come true and not just verification, but it's validation that hard work does pay off. It might not be quick fix microwave results, but in a long term it does work out and, and, and as long as you're passionate about it. Because like you say, I started from the busy streets of Alex to going to the high performance center, you know, and me being there gave me an opportunity to dream bigger and it gave me an opportunity to want more to go through under 20s into Banyana, go to varsity and study through football. And that's what I'm talking about. And this is what I preach to the girls that I'm coaching right now to say, you can have better than what I did because the ball is in your court. 
you know, and like you said, some of the girls that are, are in the under-20, under-17 team are girls that are at the high-performance center that I'm coaching. And because I know the process and I trust the process, it is my duty as well to make sure that I get the girls through the same process, if not better, because I know what development means and what it can do for a nation. Because the personal achievements that I've achieved is all because of the, the, the programs that I've been through, the support that I got from the High Performance Center, from TAX, going all the way to being at this level now, coaching in the national team. And all of that experience is what has helped me through the journey to say I rolled with the punches, got disappointed a number of times, but my head was in the right space. And it was that I wanted to be able to make a difference to that young girl out there just like somebody invested in me and made a difference in my life. Do you still have that yellow dress? <laughs> no, I gave it away to charity. No, I don't. <laughs> the 2010 FIFA World Cup draw, there was Biwet Ludo on the stage in that yellow dress and an enormous smile. I don't know which you wore better, the dress or the smile. We loved every minute of it. But Sibiru, listen, I'm, I'm glad we could make you laugh, but uh, certainly uh, I, I must congratulate you again on what's a phenomenal achievement. I, I, I know what you've been doing with the girls in, in Pretoria and, and just how much you've, uh, you've come on in your own journey. So I congratulate you. Seriously, you are flying the flag particularly high. You're a wonderful ambassador for football and women's football in particular. So thank you so much and well done again. Thank you very much. Catch us on Top Billing in our new weekend time slot every Saturday evening at 6. From this February the 17th, catch the best of the good life. Dream homes, decor, thrilling destinations, weddings, fashion, movies, adventure, entertainment, and homegrown success stories. All on Top Billing. Now at 6 on Saturday evenings. Repeat Sunday at 12 midday on SABC3. The stage is yours. SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader now. There was a match uh, over the weekend that uh, saw Bidvis Fritz and Golden Arrows going head-to-head. And, uh, oh, well, there were all sorts of tweets going around. And one uh, tweet in particular said, three penalties in one match, Arrows won, two to Fritz. Anyone want to guess who the ref is? And then uh, later, an update going, three penalties, two red cards. Well, there's uh, plenty of uh, conversations taking place about referees, the quality of the refereeing, and indeed decisions that are being made. Are they correct? Are they incorrect? Where does all this uh, consternation stem from? Well, we've tried to get some answers now from uh, a man who's been at the very centre and who's now trying to assess referees on uh, so many occasions. Buele Gubul is one of South Africa's great referees, now match commissioner as well. All round nice guy. I'm delighted to say he's on the line. Buele, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Dwayne, and good evening to the listeners. Oh, it's great to chat to you again. Now, look, I, I know this is, a, this is a one specific match that has sort of prompted things again, but, uh, you know, I, I think I want to just establish a few things from the start. From a referee's perspective, does discipline at this time of the season actually get a little worse as that sort of desperation sets in for certain teams, not only at the bottom end, but near the top end of the, uh, the league standings as well, for example? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges at this time of the season, there's a lot of pressure on teams, your team managers, your players, and I guess in the, with the match officials as well. So some teams are desperate uh, to uh, fighting to get out of relegation zone. You've got teams fighting for the title. You've got teams who are fighting to get in the top eight. So all this uh, impacts on the level of intensity and emotions in the game. 
I think that's the key, is the uh, the emotions, because ultimately referees are expected to have no emotions, but they are ultimately held accountable for their actions and, and their decisions. Would you like to see players held accountable in the future, or is that uh, just accepted as being part of the game? Because emotions, as you say, are, are, are part of it as well. Uh, I think during the uh, boundaries, uh, football is an emotional game, and as, uh, as match officials, you need to take that into consideration whenever you take the park. That it's an emotional game. Uh, we're dealing with human beings. And at, at times, at the heat of the moment, they just uh, do things the wrong way. And that's when you, we as match officials need now to uh, step up. A step in and also apply a bit of a man management skills in the decision making decisions uh, that we make. Uh, now, I, I look at this game over the weekend, for example, and of course uh, the, the referee was Victor Gomes, but I, I looked at the uh, replays. I was doing a match simultaneously, so I so wasn't able to watch it live, but watched the uh, replays of, of the match and, and the incidents concerned, and I thought three penalties and two red cards was probably warranted. Now, I didn't see it in the context of the entire match, only the specific incidents, but uh, for example, and, and I, I have been privy to a few of his reports, for example, his reports are often good, his calls are marked as accurate, um, are there sometimes just matches where there are more penalties and cards and, and it's a sheer coincidence? Well, um, Dwayne, uh, I wouldn't really uh, um, like to comment on this particular game in per se, but in, in terms of, uh, if I look at the referee himself, Victor is a, a referee very proud of what he's doing, but um, sometimes I feel that he's uh, too officious, in my opinion, and at times you need to be apply a bit of uh, uh, management. Penalties given, in my opinion, if it's a penalty, it's seen and hundred percent sure he needs to give it. And uh, it's it's easy for us to say uh, this was a correct or wrong decision because we are sitting in the comfort of our couches and having all the benefits of replace. And uh, then we we make the decision. At times, uh, I I feel that referees make the decision like, like we all know that they have a, a split of a second to make a decision. And once the decision is made, uh, you cannot uh, take it back. So we need to give them that benefit of doubt. Well, yeah, I mean, I know, for example, Victor Gomes being one of the FIFA referees, he is required to go to a couple of CAF courses a year, a FIFA seminar, two SAFA courses a year. I mean, overall, there, there is plenty of guidance for referees during, uh, during a season. Do you think there could be more support uh, for, for, for the referees? And do you feel as well that there might be a little more in terms of education on the laws for those involved in football who don't seem to be familiar with it? Yeah, you, you know, one of the things in the last three seasons, there has been a lot of uh, amendments in the laws of the game, uh, yes. Dwayne. And uh, a lot of people, especially people involved in football, which uh, in my opinion are key uh, stakeholders, especially players and coaches, are not aware of these, um, uh, these important changes in the laws of the game. And at times, they commit uh, offenses, think that they are doing the right thing, and yet the laws have changed a few seasons ago, and it's quite sad because it should be one of the key things that they are emphasizing on, especially on the pre-season, where you need to sit down with a, invite a former referees in your areas or even the, the current commissioners that are based in these teams areas where they can sort of refresh their minds on the laws of the game. 
Yeah, I think that would be uh, particularly handy in the in, in the long run because it would improve the uh, the quality of the reporting on the incidents and the uh, uh, that sometimes themselves cause uh, cause uh, confusion and and all sorts of consternation. But uh, the late Ian McLeod, if I can just go to him for a moment, was working on trying to bridge that gap between SAFA, who controlled the referees, and the PSL, who used the referees, and possibly with the, with, with the end game of having professional referees, which um, most involved in the game feel would uh, would be beneficial to the game, to the referees, um, and, and indeed the league itself. How do you feel about having professional referees? Uh, I, I think, Dwayne, uh, it's one of the uh, things that we've been all uh, uh, complaining about and crying to, to have the, the professionalization of the referees. If you look at our referee situation, you'll find that now I'll talk about myself when I was still an, an, an active official. Yes. I am working. Uh, I'm staying outside Gauteng. Most of the games are in Gauteng. Uh, sometimes you will have to travel, you have to do a midweek game, start at work on a Wednesday morning and leave in midday rushing to take, uh, to, to get an, 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 an a flight to Joburg, Devon, or Cape Town, wherever, and then still get to the airport, drive yourself to the game. That is a disaster on itself because now uh, this human, uh, this individual, you've been rushing, driving all the way. By the time you get to the field, you are not really physically and uh, psychologically uh, fit for the game because you've been going all these uh, uh, challenges. Unlike players who are are driven in luxury buses with aircon, listening to their music uh, 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 and relaxing. Uh, referees are on their own, and this is something that needs to be uh, rectified. Yeah, I, I think from uh, from anything else, the reimbursement for the referees could certainly in, in, in increase as well. And uh, they found around the world, of course, that you increase the reimbursement for referees for doing a professional job. And, of course, uh, things like match fixing do tend to decrease significantly because referees are getting properly uh, reimbursed. Just one final question, Abuil. I mean, obviously now it's an opportunity. You can talk to the media. You can talk to people around on an open and public platform. Many attacks on, on referees that become personal during careers and that. Would you like to see referees given sort of right of reply or, or more more uh, opportunity to talk uh, or give their side of the story? Then, uh, I only think that would be nice to, to, to allow referees uh, to, to, to share, uh, to give their side of the story. Because many a time they are misinterpreted and people just, uh, and unfortunately for them, they can't uh, uh, go out there and, and defend themselves. I would uh, really support, uh, uh, I've always been a fan of the idea that referees um, should be allowed to uh, sort of explain themselves on the decisions that they have made. Mr. Gubule, you are always eloquent, and I love listening to you uh, these days. Uh, now, long beyond your uh, refereeing years, indeed, you're assessing young referees. So I wish you everything of the best. Thanks so much for your insights and opinions tonight. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Now, uh, Super Rugby, of course, began over the weekend, and I wanted to report today that it had been a magnificent weekend for South African teams, but I'm not convinced that was entirely the case. Although, you could argue that some teams have some starts, but let's find out uh, with the expert opinion. Vatan Gobeni is on the line to talk rugby, rugby correspondent for the SABC. Vatan, thanks for joining us. Good evening. 
Look, good to chat to you, but I, I would have been liking to talk about two really convincing wins for two South African sides, but we didn't quite see that. Firstly, what did you make of the Stormers throwing away such a significant lead? You know, again, I think, Brian, one who needs to be cautious when you, when you start off a season um, and, and casting sort of um, assumptions on teams because they could easily turn around and, and, and make things happen in the better stages of a competition. But, again, not not too impressed. You know, um, you look at the Stormers team, they, could, they should have put the, 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 the Jaguars to, 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 the, to a sword. And, and they let them go, and they actually let them back into the game. And, and yeah, maybe every season lost in this. But I think um, we saw enough in the first 40 to say that this is a Stormers team that can still execute you know, at a high intensity and um, the second half has just failed to, to come to the party. I don't think anybody would have bet against the Hagawaras getting the first Sinbin or the first yellow card of the uh, of the <laughs> season, certainly. And, and it proved true. It proved true. I mean, we know they like to play uh, a fairly physical brand of rugby, if we can try to put it in diplomatic terms. But, uh, but the Stormers, the discipline seemed to let themselves down in the, uh, in the second half. Were you concerned? In fact, not just the Stormers game. Were you concerned with discipline overall in the opening uh, weekend? I, I think again, you know, then this becomes a, it's an ongoing problem, you know. And, and discipline is not just about dirty play. Discipline is about you know keeping within the rules of the game. And and we're seeing a lot of teams struggle with that. We're seeing a lot of teams rather forego, you know, uh, um, giving away a, a possession or or dirty through penalties instead of allowing the opposition to score. And that in itself is, it shows a lack of discipline because you need to play the game again within the, within the laws and make sure you don't transgress the laws. And we saw it, I mean, the storm was, what was it, three yellow cards, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There were at some point scumming them and Delandi, you know, on, on the side of the scum, you know, again. You know, and, and that almost proved very, very costly for them because we saw that um, the Jaguars got, got a penalty trend. And, you know, the one has to look at the, the Lions and shock them again, as I say. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, a lot of ill-discipline uh, um, saved the, you know, the Lions from, from what would have been a, you know, a steal from the shots right at the end. But then again, as well, the Lions got to look at themselves and say to themselves, they weren't at the best as well, and that discipline was. So they will need to really, really um, fix that area of the game. And not just the Lions, but I'm also African teams. Yeah, indeed. I think a uh, good point on the discipline aspect. But on the scrum perspective, you mentioned the Stormers and their scrum. But, I mean, the Lions against the Sharks, that was also very much a focus on the scrums for me. I mean, somebody who watched the Sharks uh, oh, get scrummed out of the game in the Curry Cup final last year, of course, uh, the Sharks. But, you know, I think it was six of their own scrums that they lost against the Lions. I mean, that's ultimately, you've got to say, has got to contribute to, to what turned out to be a loss for the Sharks on opening weekend. Then again, whichever genius uh, decides that Thomas Tutor is a tight head and not a loose head, you know, again, should be interrogated because whichever coach would move a player at super rapid level from loose head to tight head, and, and you play him, you start him in a, in, a, in a massive, massive game. You know, again, you're setting up, up the guy to say the kind of shot from then you know, for the Lions playing the circuit game would have been obviously pumped up. It's fine, it's dirty, but more than anything, a guy like Jacques Fondouin has started playing from club rugby and made it all the way to super rugby. So he knows all the tricks of the trade when it comes to, you know, playing in, in that front row. And he annihilated, you know, Thomas Tito was playing tight head. And, and again, you know, the shark scrum is going to need some serious, serious doctoring. You know, more than just being hammered, you know, physically, I think, psychologically, um, they would have taken a, a big, big battering. And, you know, with that proper set piece, 
especially when it comes to scrum time, you're going to struggle to get a good attacking platform. And, and again, the Sharks will, will seriously have to look at that and say to themselves, what it is they can do to quickly sort out the problem that we, we saw on Saturday. But one of the uh, one of the big uh, talking points, I suppose, for many was, of course, fly-off and, and scrum-off accommodations for Springboks, particularly looking at uh, the England series coming up later this year, Eddie Jones and his virtually undefeated England side. But Lions versus Sharks had an opportunity to put Elton Yankees against Robert Dupria. Who do you think came out on top in that battle? Oh, then I'll say Robert Dupria. He scored a, you know, a wonderful try, uh, beating Elton Yankees too, at that one. So... I didn't give that to, to Robert Dupier. I mean, Alton Yankees missed two sitters, almost in front of goal, and uh, that's almost unforgivable at the level that he's playing at the moment. OK, briefly, taking a look at some of the players who stood out for you from, from the three South African teams who were in action, and uh, maybe if there's a Haguaris uh, player you would like to mention, were there individuals that stood out for you that you feel we need to be looking at this season, this campaign? You, you definitely have to look at a guy like Walker Lowe. He came as uh, end of last year. Um, very, very strong scrummager, and uh, he's definitely the one for the future. Um, again, that you know, you gotta give Sia Colisi something, you know. I, I think that the man is just on fire, he's unstoppable these days. Also, he's got a wonderful try, he's a man who leads from the front, with the heart of his leader, guy like Damien Phillips at, at Flav. I think he's gonna really, really aid the Stormbucks in building up their, their stuff at, at number 10. Um, and, and, you know, a guy like Damien Bielandi, you know, um, who might not be everyone's favourite at the moment, you know, really, you know, showed some glimpses of the player that he was a few years ago. And I was extremely impressed with Kalak Raymond Rue in, in his debut for, for the Stormers and scored a try as well. And, you know, you got the Lions game, the Lions and Sharks game, um, a pure Yankee. Oh, what a player, yeah. you know, scores yes. in debut and, and a, a phenomenal try scored by him. Um, Lana Mapu again also showed glimpses of, of the kind of player that, you know, that he was. I was very impressed with Kalak Hachiva. Manu came off the bench, uh, made the, the very, very good steal and had some wonderful runs. And obviously, Marlon Skuman as well. Those are guys who were really impressed on the Lions side. And you look at the, the Sharks team, Cameron Wright, again, you know, um, it's come off, you know, picking up his hand and saying, listen, guys, I may have gone overseas, but I've come back a better player. Um, I, also, I was also impressed with the guy like Ron Porter. Uh, the, the way he just counters those, those um, or he competes, and in the lineup and, 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 and tries his best to disrupt the, the opposition's role in more. You know, makes him a, a, you know, a very, very, you know, important cog when it comes to a force, just for battles. So, you know, those two are the guys that really, really stood out. Um, and hopefully, you know, and hopefully we'll see more guys standing up this weekend, you know, when the, the, the next fast between the Bulls play the Hurricanes and they're playing that, you know, Hurricanes side that were champions two years ago, semifinals last year. And uh, in that side, possess the world's best player for the last two years in Bowdoin Barrett. Uh, indeed, yes. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what happens when the Bulls enter the fray and when Australia, New Zealand, Japan uh, make their uh, their first appearances in the competition. But, Batam Gouverni, thank you so much for your time this evening. And go enjoy all the build-up to next week's action. On it, there's a dance. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, that's all we've got time for on the show uh, today. Plenty of action still to come this week in terms of sport, and we'll be, uh, continue to bring it uh, all uh, as a wrap between 6.30 and 7 o'clock right throughout the week. Brad Brown in tomorrow. I'll be back on Thursday. At, uh, do stick it around after the news because Naledi Malo and Criselda Dudamash are going to be up after the news with the talk shop. And uh, then... Brad in tomorrow, as I mentioned. Uh, Luyol Mkalibi, producer, sound engineer, Phileas Ndoba, me, Dwayne Delock, have uh, really enjoyed bringing you the show, but uh, from all of us, have a lovely evening. Cheers. It's 7 o'clock.